Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true God in the springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Command and teach these things. Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Fight the good fight of the faith. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Grace be with you all. Just a couple Sundays, Advent will be starting. If you're not from a tradition, which I wasn't, which celebrated Advent, Advent is just simply a time where we celebrate the first coming of Jesus while we also anticipate the second coming of Jesus. And so there will be a table here and various families will come up each week and light a candle to remind us of the coming of Jesus and also remind us of the second coming of Jesus. And one thing that we like to do in our family the last few years, we do an Advent devotion, and each year I try to get a different Advent devotion, so it's kind of fresh and different. And anyway, I picked up a couple extras this year, and this is called The Christmas We Didn't Expect. And so I'm going to give this away, and maybe you or your family would also join in and have a family devotional time. So let me ask, uh, does anybody here have a birthday on Christmas Day? Raise your hand if your birthday is December 25th. All right, how about, do I see any hands? All right, 24th or 26th? Hold on. All right, Brooks, when's your birthday? The 16th? Oh, I'm sorry, I thought you were, I'm sorry, I thought you were Brooks. All right, sorry, man. A little younger version of you, right? Sorry about that. The 16th of December, anybody, uh, 24th or 26th? Oh, okay, come on up here, Jonathan. Brooks is like, thanks, man. I'm like, it's 10 years old. How old are you, Jonathan? Eight. Eight, oh, see what I know. I'm getting old, you know. I do remember, even though I'm old, I remember this story, all right? So in our, in our first year of marriage, we lived in Chattanooga, and I was working for a company, and they gave me, for kind of incentive, they gave me a, a gift card to one of the nicer restaurants in the city. And so Michelle and I, being very poor at that point, we were super excited about being able to go to the Loft restaurant, steak restaurant. And so we went one evening, and we were excited. We had enough on this gift card to order a really, really nice meal. So we got appetizers. We sure I got a steak, and then at the end we got a dessert, probably to split. And it was just a, a wonderful meal. Well, when the waiter came and delivered our bill, and we gave them the gift card, and he returned, there was still a pretty hefty balance on our bill because the for some reason. 
the restaurant only honored the gift card toward the main dish, the main entree, not the appetizer, the drinks, or dessert, or the tip. And so there we were looking and scratching our heads, and what are we going to do? Because all we had was a Discover card that was the only credit card that I had, and they didn't take Discover. And so we began to look through the, our wallet, the purse, you know, digging up change literally to pay this bill. And we scraped up just enough to make the bill, I remember that, but not enough to leave a tip or at least any kind of tip that was respectable. And we quickly put the money on the table and headed out the door, embarrassed, ashamed, because we did not really think through our trip or ask the right questions. And I was telling my dad about this a few days later, and he said, son, what were you thinking? He's like, you have my Visa card. And I kept his MasterCard or Visa card, his gold card, tucked in one of the pockets of my wallet. Those, that was for an emergency. And I'd totally forgotten about it. And he said, you could have used that. That's what it's there for, an emergency. And here I was, scraping together change and trying to make the bill, pay this bill when I had the wealth of my dad in my wallet. All the wealth that he had accumulated for years of work kind of in that card, represented in that card, that could have easily paid off this bill and probably paid off the majority of the people eating in that restaurant that night. But there I was living like a poor person, a pauper, because I had not realized that I had that card. And this story, I think, illustrates very well the plight of many Christians today. We have so much available to us through the gospel of Jesus and we don't understand the riches of the gospel any more than I realized the wealth that was in my wallet that day. Why not? I think some of it is we just forget. We compartmentalize our lives and we forget the things we sing about and the things that we study and talk about on Sunday and Wednesday are critical and essential to our life on Monday through Saturday. And I think we forget who we are, we forget whose we are, and we're content in knowing enough about the gospel to get us to heaven, but not enough to experience joy and freedom that Jesus offers here on earth. And so as we go back to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 10, I think we find incredible truths on how to live out the gospel each and every day of our lives. So flip with me or turn in your app to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. And I'll read this for us as you follow along. So Paul writes to Timothy. He says, if you, young Pastor Timothy, put these things before the brothers, and these are the things we talked about last week, or it could have been just everything he's written so far in this letter, exposing the false teachers, giving the, the facts of the gospel. If you give these things before the brothers, the believers, the Christians, the church, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for this present life, but also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Let's pray and we'll look at this passage.
Father God, we thank you for your word that gives us the truth to live by. And it gives us the wealth and the riches of the gospel. And God, we confess that most of the time we live life on our own strength, going to our own resources, and we always come up short, and we continue to do the same thing again and again, running after counterfeit idols and things that promise us freedom and joy, and in the end, all they bring is bondage and depression and captivity. And God, I pray today your word will ring true to us. Help us not to think that this word some way will just sink into our brains and change our lives, God, but help us to be doers of the word, not just hearers. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In verse 7, we're going to start in verse 7 and then kind of work backwards. He said, train yourself for godliness. Now this word godliness occurs 13 times in the New Testament, and nine of these occur in 1 Timothy alone. And godliness isn't simply the stuff that we do here on Sunday, okay? Godliness isn't just about Sunday morning. Godliness is active obedience every day of the week, Monday through Saturday, as I said earlier. And really, godliness is more about your, you can go to the, back to me on the screen. I'm, we're not quite ready for that verse. Um, godliness is more about your conversation at lunch tomorrow than it is about folding your hands the right way or lifting your hands the right way in here. Godliness is the stuff of life. It's the holiness that works out of our relationship with God, with knowing and enjoying Jesus and our fellowship with him through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what godliness looks like. So for so many people, godliness is the right posture. But godliness is the holiness that comes out of your life. And so Paul went so far last week as he was confronting these false teachers, if you were here and you remember, he, he literally blasts these guys because they were paving this false way to godliness that had to do with extreme self-discipline, extreme uh, what is called asceticism, meaning extreme self-denial of pleasures, thinking in some way that was the path to godliness. And so they were teaching this self-sacrificial way of living, particularly in regards to don't marry. It's better you don't marry because abstain from sex because you're going to be more holy in that. And he said certain foods, stay away from these certain foods because if you stay away from these, these will bring about godliness in your life. And so these false teachers were teaching that somebody could achieve righteousness with God through these ways. But Paul literally in verse 1 of chapter 4, he said these were the teachings of demons and they were the result of people having a dead conscience. So this, this stuff was literally coming from Satan. Now, interestingly enough, get this, that Paul now moves from a passionate rejection of these false teachers teaching this extreme self-discipline to the value, the proper use of self-discipline. You follow that? That he was critical of this self-discipline these false teachers were teaching but he turns around and shows that self-discipline is a great thing. It's critical for the Christ follower. Why? Because the issue was the false teacher's attempt to earn merit or right standing before God through their self-discipline, through their efforts, rather than receiving it from God. And then as a result, then being self-controlled and living a life that God has called us to live. So I said it this way a few weeks ago in a Monday email. Grace enables effort. Effort never enables grace. Grace enables effort. Effort never enables grace. So what does that mean practically? It means you don't work for grace. Grace is a gift of God. And out of that grace then comes 
your resolve to train yourself for godliness. So we got to make sure we don't get this mixed up. So with that being said, you've heard the old adage for working out, right? No pain, no gain. Well, it's really true. There is no pain, no gain. All right. Of course, that's a little distorted because there is a certain type of pain when it comes to working out that's not good for you. But generally speaking, discomfort is involved in training. And the same thing is true here. So in verse 6, Paul is going to show that training in godliness, godliness re, 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 involves discomfort, just like it does in real activity. Look at verse 6. He says, if you put these things before the brothers or the church family, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. What's that? What's discomfort in that? Young Timothy, as we've learned from this book and are going to continue to learn from this book, young pastor Timothy has been timid. He's intimidated by the false teachers. He's intimidated by those who were leaders in the church at one time, many of these guys, who now were following after this false gospel, this silliness. And Timothy was sent there and charged to stand up to these guys. And so Paul tells him in regards to the conversation last week, if you put these truths out in front of the people, it's going to be tough. It's going to be difficult. You're going to get some pushback. It's going to be uncomfortable. Timothy, stand strong. Teach the truth. Don't be intimidated. And look what he says. He says, you'll be a good servant of Jesus Christ. He's, this is the kind of person that honors Christ. One who is willing to stand up for truth without apology and regardless of the opposition that he was receiving. And then in the second half of verse 6, he says that training in godliness requires knowledge. Look at the second half. Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Now I'm going to come back to this verse more thoroughly in a few minutes. But he's saying in this verse, he's saying that the things that Timothy knew to be true, the things that Timothy had been taught by the Apostle Paul, who had been taught the words of Jesus by Jesus himself, who Jesus had, had given through the words of the apostles and the prophets. These were the things that Timothy was now to stand strong on, to pull resources from, and as we'll see in a minute, to continue to grow in this area. Like I said, I'll come back to that in a minute. The, the next one, verse 7, training in godliness requires focus. He says, have nothing to do with these irreverent, Silly miss. He says, don't get caught up in this nonsense, these, these latest fads, these latest things that are going through the church. Stick to the main thing. Stick to, stick to the basics, the gospel. Don't get distracted. I mean, think about in real life how eager we are sometimes and how gullible we are to do this. All right, you watch that infomercial at night and it promises things like six-second six abs, right? And you're like, wow, really? Six-seconds abs? I can get abs in six seconds. How's that a no-brainer to spend $29.95 a month for the next six months to get, right? I mean, that's like great. That's the answer to all my problems. And all these fads that come out and these diets and these, you know, you got your thigh master, you got your um, vibrating ab belt. You have all these promises of these things from the athletic world, from the training world, toning shoes that are going to make your life perfectly fit and healthy. And people make millions and millions off of this stuff. But it's all fake and it's shortcuts to something that is not going to be there at the end of the day. And the same thing is true in his encouragement to Timothy regarding godliness. Stay focused upon the gospel. Don't deviate 
to the latest thing that people are saying that you need to do in order to experience God in a deeper, better way. He says these things are silly. I mean, he says silly myths. And they were going back, we talked about this early on, they were going back to the Old Testament through these genealogies, pulling out names of these genealogies, which the Scriptures didn't say anything about. And then they were building this case upon these people and speculations. And it was just, it was just crazy. And Paul says, what are you doing? How could you spend your time and energy on this stuff rather than the stuff of Scripture, the stuff of the Gospel, the stuff that the apostles are given to you? So he says, rather than that, he says, train yourself in godliness. And this idea of training yourself, it's, it's discipline. It's this athletic word that involves rigor. It involves being extremely disciplined and vigorous after what you're going for, after your sport or after your body sculpting or whatever it was at that point these athletes were doing that Paul was in his mind. And so he says, don't get sidetracked on this silliness. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Now, back up from the text for a second and think about this. Timothy, we've talked about this. Timothy was the protege of Paul. Paul probably led him to Christ. He discipled him, we know. He, Timothy was with Paul for several years. Yet he writes to Paul, I mean, Paul writes to Timothy, and he reminds him not to take for granted his godliness. Hear me on this. Timothy, Pastor Timothy, don't take your godliness for granted. And the same thing is true for us. As soon as we lose sight of the gospel, all of a sudden we begin to compare ourselves to other people. We think that we're not as bad as maybe that other person is. We fail to do battle with the flesh like we once did. We forget that we live in a fallen world, which can be, we know, exhausting. It can really, really make us weary and bring us down. And we lose focus, and we begin to live life without God speaking into it, without His Word, without His church family. And so many people through this coronavirus crisis have just forsaken the church and just have not set foot within the walls of Sunday morning worship. They've forsaken their K-groups. They've abandoned, and many of them, not for the right reasons, many of them, it's, it's just they've gotten out of the habit, and so they're not coming any longer. And the problem with that is that you will lose sight quickly of your condition apart from Jesus Christ. And how easy it is, after years and years of following Jesus, to derail your life and your ministry, your testimony, with a few bad decisions. And so Timothy has to be reminded of his godliness, just like we should be reminded to train and pursue it. And in verse 8, Paul continues to build on this athletic metaphor by contrasting bodily exercise with godly exercise, godliness. He says, training in godliness has eternal value. Look at verse 8. For while bodily training is of some value... Godliness is of value for in every way, as it holds promise for the present life, but also for the life to come. So the world of Paul and Timothy was just like the world that we live in today, where athletes are idolized, where people who are able to devote time to sports are looked up to. And so Paul knows this. Paul's pointing to this imagery. 
he's, uh, re- he's directing Timothy to look out and look at these teams, these people training for the marathon or training for the Olympics. And he's saying these people are putting all this effort into bodily training, which does have some value, right? We know that. If we exercise on a regular basis, if we try to eat healthy, we feel better. We have energy. We, we just, um, life seems to just be a little bit better from the physical side when we have energy to get up and take on the day. It has value to it, but he's saying, he's contrasting here. He's saying, but physical training at its best, what's going to happen? In 100 years, what's it matter, right? It, it, it's not, it's not going to matter anymore. All this effort that these athletes are doing is, in the end of the day, they're going to be dead just like everyone else. It reminds me of a story that Pastor George Whitfield, evangelist in Britain, back in the 1700s, he told about a time when he was walking down the streets in England and he saw some convicted criminals on their way to the gallows to be hung for their crimes and they were arguing in the cart who was going to sit in the best seat. It's crazy, right? But we, uh, we do the same thing. We get so worked up over things that have no eternal value whatsoever. We fixate and, and spend so much time and focus on things that 100 years from now won't matter at all. And that's the point that Paul is getting at with Timothy. Bodily exercise, it, it matters a little bit, but it's temporary. Godliness is eternal. And what's great is he says, not only is it just a pie in the sky, you know, one day you'll reap the benefits of this. Yes, we will. But the benefits also start now, in the here and now of a godly life. And I'll explain that in a few minutes. And then the next thing he says, he says, training in godliness requires repetition. Training in godliness requires repetition. Look at verse 9. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. So he looks at this expression that he gave, and maybe it was something that was commonly used in the church, or Paul's saying, look, this thing's pretty important, all right? Remember this, Timothy, bodily training profits. It matters. Physical training has a little value. Godly training for eternity. And if you're an athlete or been an athlete or do any kind of workout, you know the value of reps, right? Repetition, all right? No matter what sport you're in, you don't just do something one time and you got it mastered. You continue to sculpt that muscle. You continue to run that play or practice your shot. You don't get it down where you can hit 50% and then you walk away and say, I've achieved it. No, you continue to have to do those things again and again and again. Repetition. And it makes that muscle memory work and you remember those things. You remember those plays. And it's critical. Well, the same thing is true when it comes to the Christian life. Reps. Doing the same thing again and again and again. He points back to the saying and says, remember this. Keep this in mind. Repeat it to yourself. It's trustworthy. It's important. It's deserving of full acceptance. And that's one of the values of Scripture memory. And just planting these things into our, our hearts and our minds. I was thinking, I was, I was preparing for this, that when our oldest two children, Shelby and Colin, were probably six and four, five and three, something of that nature. We were in Dallas and we were in their bedroom, in Shelby's bedroom one night. And we were reading our family devotion, and we came across a verse in Psalm. It was Psalm uh, 27, verse 14. And the verse was, wait on the Lord, 
be strong, take heart, wait on the Lord. And that night, as we were trying to get them to say that and, and, and what it meant, we came up with these little expressions, these little hand motions. We said, wait on the Lord, be strong, take heart, wait on the Lord. And we did that several times. You know what? To this day, I could say to any of them, I could say, wait on the Lord. And they would say, be strong, take heart, wait on the Lord. It's deserving. It's trustworthy. It's, it's worth repeating again and again and again. And so don't get discouraged. Don't be one of these people who are like, I know what's in the Bible. I know what it says. I know the gospel. I know that stuff. I, I'm bored. You're missing the point. It's not about memorizing more and more stuff, although that's critical. It's about the grace of God that pours out on us. And that grace is experienced through his fellowship and through his word. And so it's not about the effort. Oh, I've got to check it off my list to go to the word. It's the grace that enables that discipline, the joy of that. And it is a kind of a cyclical. It, it kind of one enhances the other for sure. But it's not done apart from grace. And so bodily exercise, remember that tomorrow when you get up and work out. It profits a little, but your godly exercise profits so much more, not only in the next life, but in this life as well. And so he says it's worth repeating. And then verse 10 he says what the motivation for all this training is. The motivation is God himself. Look at verse 10. For to this end, he says, I'm working, I'm tolling, I'm, I'm striving. Why? Because we have our hope set on the living God. He's working harder than everyone, Paul says. I'm working hard as I can. Not me working, but God working through me. But I'm working. I'm carrying the gospel across continents. I'm logging lots of miles. I'm suffering. I'm being beaten because this gospel matters. It makes a difference. And he says, I'm tolling. I'm striving. But what's his motivation? My hope is set upon the living God. And you see, when you lose sight of God and who he is and his character and his holiness, then it does become mundane. Oh, I've got to get up a little bit early and read my Bible. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I go to church. When you lose focus on the living God, you lose focus on eternity, what matters, and you begin to put all your efforts on the here and now, which are going to be gone, and you're arguing over the seat on the way to be hung in the gallows. Crazy, right? So he says, because our hope is set on the living God, we're able to do this. And then he says, God in Christ, who is the Savior, verse 10, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. And Paul's purpose here isn't to present some kind of universalism where he's saying everybody is saved, you're going to be saved. Many, many other writings of Paul clearly say that's not the case. His purpose is simply to remind the Christians who have placed their hope in the living God and pursuing godliness that they're not going to be disappointed at the end of the day. God is rescuing them. God is saving them. God is working. Trust God. Don't lose focus. Keep up the reps. Keep doing what matters. Train for godliness. Let me ask you this. What's your training plan? Not your neighbor or your husband or somebody else or the elders. Or deacon. What's your training plan for godliness? What's your training plan? What does that look like practically 
in your life. Go back to verse 6 for a second. He says, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. This expression, this word being trained, was a Greek metaphor that was used in the educational system. It originally referred to a child being reared and nursing and feeding and receiving nourishment. Why does that matter? So it's a metaphor for education, education to form the mind. Verse 6 in the NIV says it this way, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. And the tense of this word, this is important, all right? Don't get bogged down. Don't think this is too academic for you. The tense of this word here is in the present tense. Why is that important? Because so many people look back on the things that they've learned. I've done that. I've mastered that. I realize that. But, and so their education in godliness, their education in theology is something they've done. And Paul is saying to Timothy that he needs to be nourished, being trained, active, being trained in the words of faith and the good doctrine that you have followed. And so Timothy's prior education, while awesome and great and beneficial and got him to the place where he's at today, is not where he relies on for present grace or future grace. He continues to feed himself upon the content of the gospel, the teachings of Scripture of the apostles. And so my big application point for you today is this, and we're going to stay here for a couple minutes, is we have to continue, as we say a lot here, preach the gospel to ourselves. Educate the mind, controlling the mind, form the mind. And we know how hard it is sometimes to capture your meditations, don't you? We know how easy it is to let every train of thought just run rampant in our mind. And you want to destroy your life really quickly? Just let whatever thing comes into your mind just run unchecked there for a while. Because why? We're wired as human beings that it starts right here in our minds. And education, knowing theology, understanding Scripture, understanding all the things that are so important to our faith are critical, but it's not something you look back on. And it's not something you just learn and keep here. It works its way out into your life. And you preach it constantly to yourself. You're preaching something to yourself, I promise you. You're preaching something every day. It could be materialism. Man, if I could just win the lottery. Man, if I could be rich. If I could just have it easy. If I could quit this stupid job. If I could get this and this and this. And we even try to rationalize those things by adding a little Jesus to it. But the truth is, we preach a gospel to ourselves. And if it's not Christ-centered, it's going to thoroughly lead you astray. It's going to make you totally forget your purpose in this life. And it's going to bring you zero joy. Because what you've been created for was to glorify God. And then you enjoy Him. And you enjoy God by glorifying Him. And if you're not doing that as a child of God, then you're missing it. And so preaching the gospel to yourself, listen, that's not some kind of mind trick. It's not some formula that we do in order to deny reality. It's not that. And it's not waving some magic wand on our circumstances. 
anger, aloneness, fear, lust, panic, pride. All these things are real. And they're coming at you constantly. And so it's not denying these things or trying to live like, I'm not fearful. But it's allowing the gospel to change our perspective. Preaching the gospel to ourselves is calling on ourselves, self, return to Jesus for forgiveness, cleansing, power, and purpose. It's answering doubts, fears, and the temptations of sin and sin when we fall into sin with the promises of God. It's things like practically, my sin doesn't define me. The gospel says that Jesus defines me. I'm a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has begun. Sure, I grieve the sin and I confess the sin, but the sin doesn't define me any longer. Jesus defines me. I'm forgiven because of the cross. I'm forgiven because of what he did. And I'm not going to let this situation or this circumstance or my failure in that situation or circumstance to define me. I'm not going to allow the hardships of this fallen world to define me. I'm not going to allow my sickness to define me. Not that I do some mind game and pretend like that some way that's not happening to me or if I just have enough faith, then it'll go away. It's embracing the truth of the gospel that Jesus suffered for a purpose and God will have us suffer for a purpose. And sometimes he does bring healing But even in that process, there's such sanctification and learning and growth that takes place. And so we preach the gospel to ourselves. It's not a gospel that says, woe is me. Why am I going through this? All bad things always happen to me. Sure, those thoughts may hit your mind and ping there, but they don't have to live there. Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And God is working. If you're his child, listen, if you're his child, he's working in your life. And maybe you don't think so. Philippians 1, 6 says, I'm sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's working. Now we know he's working from Scripture. But we also know that we can speed up the process by submitting to God's simple commands in Scripture, controlling our mind through Scripture, putting our mind on God, preaching the gospel to ourselves, Or we can reject that and fight it and sin. And we know that the gospel says at the end of the day, God's going to work even in those failures, even those circumstances. There's still growth that happens for a true believer. But man, the Holy Spirit is the wind at your back in this process. And if we quit fighting against him and and, and submit to the work of the Spirit, how much better it will go for us. So much of our stuff is so self-inflicted. Because we allow our minds just to run unchecked. We spend hours on silliness, speculation, fear, guilt. And we let these things build up this, such anxiety in us. And I think you have to have a training plan. And what's that training plan? It starts with gazing upon the beauty of God. And saying, mind, remove yourself from that situation because you can't control it. Put it upon God who's in control of all things. And I preach the gospel. I see God in his holiness. And I go to the wealth of scripture every day, the well to pull from, to know scripture, to have the words of God in my life and in my heart so I don't sin against him. 
and I have resources to fall back to in those moments when I need to preach the gospel to myself. And we remember the beauty of Jesus. We remember our identity in Christ. We rest in the grace and we allow the gospel to inform us on the world that we live in. That's our grid. So let's bring it home, real life. You're driving in traffic. Somebody cut you off. Sure, your initial response might be, jerk! But what happens after that? Where does your mind go? Does it go to, I'm not real happy about that, God. That guy almost had me, had, made me have an accident, but we live in a broken world that's been broken with sin from creation. And God, I know I'm broken as well. And how easy it is for me to overlook my sin and spot everybody else's. And how many times have I been guilty of the same thing? So I'm not going to get up on my self-righteous high horse at this moment and begin to dwell on what that guy did. God, I'm trusting you. And you preach the gospel to yourself. But Pastor John, you have no idea the woman that I live with, right? And the constant nagging that I hear in my, all the time around our house. Well, I think of Jesus for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, suffered the shame. Jesus, for the joy, endured the cross. And so there might be times where you say, well, I want my marriage to be better. And I'm going to keep encouraging us to get counseling, to go and talk to someone and be transparent and real about this situation that we constantly find ourselves in. But at the same moment, I'm going to pray and trust God and I'm going to preach the gospel that Jesus endured and I can endure, endure as well. And I'm going to be a light to my spouse. They're going to see me daily in Scripture. They're going to see me daily praying. And God's going to work on me and change me and not me spend all my mental energy trying to change them or thinking about scenarios where they would be changed. The gospel changes our hearts. It humbles our hearts. It exposes our worldliness exposes who we are. And if we're constantly filling our minds with that, it's going to change the joy that we experience. It will. I promise you it will. And I think of verses like 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21, that when we meditate upon God's goodness, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, he says, therefore, he says, we're ambassadors for Christ. So we're out in the community at that lunch on Monday. We're an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And God is making his appeal through me. As I sit here across from this person at lunch, God is making his appeal through me. I'm his ambassador. And here's my appeal. And it may not always come out exactly this way. And I added these quotes because I'm sure this is the, the presentation of the gospel. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled. The gospel is... Jesus paid the price that you couldn't pay. Be reconciled to God. Your original reason for being created, fellowship with God, the living God. And sin broke that off, as Stephen said. And Jesus gives us the ability to have that relationship again. And then, I love verse 21. He goes back to just a very simple expression of the gospel. He says, for our sake, he, God, made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin 
so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel in a nutshell. And that's the gospel we continually preach to ourselves. Nothing that I did, nothing I do, nothing that I earn, no amount of rigor, no amount of discipline, no amount of determination or training can earn me any favor with God whatsoever. But God has changed me. I'm not the same anymore. And so as a result of the grace that he pours into my life, why would I not want, if I'm his ambassador, to know him, to seek him, and to train with vigor and discipline as an athlete who's training for something that's going to go away in a few years? What's your training plan? What's it look like? Uh, you don't realize how busy I am. I just don't have time to get up and read the Bible. Or I know enough Bible already. Right, Timothy? Pastor Timothy, you may know enough, but are you currently walking in this truth? And so our head, heart, and hands application. And I give this application because of one big reason is head knowledge is not enough. And then some people, they're like, well, I don't need to know a bunch of stuff. I just need to do stuff. I'm a doer. You need to do stuff. Head and hands but it all starts in your heart, who you are. And out of that flows your ability to live for Jesus. So your head is today, you need a plan. Know that. You need a plan for godliness. It's not going to happen. Just like training physically doesn't just happen. You don't just happen to get up and go to the gym every day. You have a plan to make that happen if you do that. Have a plan. The heart. Gaze upon the beauty of God. See God. Savor God. Look into the cross each and every day and the application of the cross. And then the hands, the action. Just preach that gospel to yourself every day, whether it be the driver that pulls out in front of you, the person you can't stand in your office, a difficult spouse, a kid that won't control themselves. Whatever the situation, preach the gospel to yourself and know that God is working to do his will through you. Train for godliness. Train for godliness. Let's pray. Father God, we all would have to admit in here that we've spent a lot of time training and doing other things with a lot more passion than we have training in godliness. Two stay on John, one find Mitch. And God, we, we're, we will admit, I will admit that the world and the stuff of the world can draw Two me stay in. Two on John, camera one and find Whether it Mitch be the glitter of the world or the anxieties of the world, they can easily distract me <coughs> from the gospel. And Father God, I pray that you'll help me to go to the well every day of your riches, of your glory, of your goodness, of your wealth, and help me not to live like a, po- a pauper, trying to pull together enough change to make it through the day. But God, help me to run to your riches, the riches of Jesus Christ and the gospel, to live for you. And God, I pray you'll give your people joy because in that, that's our strength. And that's what people see. And that's why we're good ambassadors for you because you're the strength of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.